hardship folders. Today we're going to look at another parable, this one called the parable of the, the workers in the vineyard. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 20 beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Hear God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So when it's the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that your word, as you said, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This parable is bracketed in verse 30 of chapter 19 and then verse 16 of what we just read by the statement, but many who are first will be last and the last first. The context of the parable is very important because it grew out of the encounter that Jesus had had with what we call the, the man, the rich young ruler. This uh, young, wealthy man had come to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the conversation, we see that this young man is blind to the fact that he is an idolater. He worships his wealth. And Jesus puts his finger on that when he says, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow me. The man walks away. Well, later, Peter, reflecting on what he had heard, says to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus assures him that there will be a reward for him and the other disciples. In fact, it will be a reward that Jesus describes it as such that it will be a hundred times as much. Why does Jesus tell us such? And 
and focus on this astonishing amount. He's telling us, as he did the disciples, that in the kingdom of God, God's grace is what rules. It is not a merit system. It it is not a reward. It is all decided by the grace of God. And so that sets the stage for this parable, and hence the beginning, for the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. Jesus is saying in the kingdom of heaven, the operative principle is not merit, but grace. In the parable, we see this this landowner, and the day comes for the harvest of his vineyards, the grapes. And he obviously, as we see, it must be a very wealthy man with lots of land because he starts off early in the morning, the day of the harvest, with the, the servants who work normally for him. Within just a little while, he goes to the town and there are men standing around and he hires them. About a couple hours later, he goes back and he hires more. And then we see this pattern repeated all through the day, noon, 3 p.m., even up to 5 p.m., he is still hiring laborers. And all he had done is say, I will pay a fair amount, a fair amount. Though the first group had agreed to work for what was a common wage in that day, a coin called a denarius, which amounted to a day's work. And so as they come, he tells them to line up based on those who started the day toward the end, he was going to pay first. And he pays the workers, beginning with those who were hired last. And he pays them all the same, the same amount. And the workers who have been out in the heat, in the sun, working all day, are not happy. And they say, we worked hard all day long. We were out there sweating in the heat. And you give us each our denarius. Those others came, and they worked for one hour. And they receive the same. And so the landowner speaks directly to the person who we assume is a spokesman for the group and says, friend, I am not being unfair with you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? The landowner now removes the veil of the parable with one brief question there toward the end. Or do you begrudge my generosity? That's the key to understanding the parable right there in that phrase. Do you begrudge my generosity? God, obviously, in this, this is a picture of God and how generous he is. I was thinking earlier this week, I was thinking back through the Old Testament about the generosity of God, and and we see it over and over, but just a couple of brief vignettes. Think about the Garden of Eden. There, the original creation, before sin entered the world. And the Bible tells us when God created that garden and he created Adam and Eve and he put them there, it said, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God did not just place one tree in the garden, but he put all types of trees that produced all types of fruits Various colors and shapes and sizes. Perhaps they were plums and pears and apples and oranges all on display. If you ever go into a supermarket and you're dazzled by the... We we get inoculated to it, it seems like, because we've seen it so much. 
Well, you can be overwhelmed with just the selection of fruit, the sizes, the shapes, the colors. Think what it must have been like for Adam and Eve to have all kinds of trees that were not only delicious to eat, but they were beautiful as well. God could have produced one gray tree with one type of gray fruit, and yet he produces this variety. Why? Because God is generous. He also created marriage in his generosity. Still, in the opening chapters of Genesis, God sees that Adam is alone, and he says it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God knew that Adam needed a companion before Adam knew it. And he graciously meets that need. Why? Because Adam asked for uh, marriage before Adam asked for a companion? No. God did it because God is generous. That's his disposition. He anticipated and provided for every need that Adam could possibly have. And then what happened after they sinned? They disobeyed God? Did God suddenly cease to be gracious and just become mean and harsh? No, he dealt mercifully with them. Even in the midst of the terrible consequences of their disobedience, what does God do? In chapter 3, verse 21, it says, God made garments, garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So right there in the middle of God carrying out the punishment for disobedience as their judge, he takes note of their need for clothes, and he meets that need. God was gracious and generous, not because they deserved it or earned it or even asked for it, but because that is who God is. Later in the Old Testament, we see over and over how God delights to do good. In the book of Jeremiah, there's a passage that even if you're not very familiar with the book of Jeremiah, you've heard these verses. It says in chapter 32, They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after me. Then it says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. So who are these people? What type of people are these that God is saying, I will never stop doing good to them? These must have been fine people of stellar character, asking for God's mercy and always being faithful and and always obeying him. Is that who they were? No, they were like us. You know how they're described earlier? God described them as those who, quote, have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. So why is God so good to them? Why does he say, I'll never stop doing good? Because God delights to be generous. He delights in doing good. He has a right to show grace. God owes no one anything. You and I probably have obligations. You may owe on a loan. You may be purchasing a house. You may owe someone something that you promised to do for them. We probably have all sorts of outstanding debts and obligations of various sizes. 
But God owes no one anything, the Bible tells us. He has no obligations to anyone else. And so the workers in the field, what did they believe? They believed the owner was in their debt. They believed you owe us. And you owe us more than what you paid those who came here at 5 o'clock in the afternoon to work. We've been here since dawn. You owe us more than a denarius. But the owner rejects that idea. He says, I don't know you, owe you anything other than what I promised. So does God. Imagine, if you will, here in 2019, we're still toward the beginning of the year. Imagine that this year you say, I'm going to obey every, every traffic law. And I'm going to obey perfectly. You, you always stay within the speed limit. You, you always drive in the proper lane. You never pick up your cell phone and use it without a hands-free device. You always come to a complete stop at a four-way stop, even if no one's around. I remember my father, who was a judge, saying, Chip, do you know what the difference is between stopping and slowing down? I said, no, what? He said, $120. (laughs) And yet you always obey every traffic law perfectly. Next January, do you expect to get a bonus check in the mail from the Department of Transportation saying, in a great appreciation for all that you've done, we want to reward you for your obedience to the law? No. Well, if you do think that, you're going to be disappointed. But you would not expect to be rewarded for that because that's what you are supposed to do. You've only done your duty as a law-abiding citizen. The state is not obligated to reward you. So if you or I could perfectly obey every commandment that God has given us faithfully and completely, we would still only be able to say, I have merely done my duty, what was required of me. So we cannot obligate God in any way. I'm grateful for Terry Johnson, the pastor at Independent Presbyterian in Savannah, and his books, especially his book on the parables. And he, in commenting on this parable, he mentions that we today kind of have a couple of obstacles when we come to this parable uh, as far as appreciating it and understanding it. First is our sense of equality, meaning that, that what is fair and what is not Trust me, if you own a business, this parable is not a lesson in labor management. Don't try to take this parable into the workplace. That was not the purpose of it. It's talking about the character of God. And so we, we are very sensitive to what's fair and unfair. And so I, I, I take a child that's here. And let's say your mama gave you a bag of candy with about 50 pieces in it. We would say, it's your bag of candy. It's yours. It was a gift. You can choose to do with it what you want. You may keep it all for yourself. You may share it with your brothers and sisters. You may go up down, down that aisle and hand a piece to the first 50 people. But then when the bag runs out, none of these people get any. And none of them should come to you and say, that wasn't fair. You should have given it to me. Why? Because it's your bag of candy to do with it what you want to. And we would all say, that's right. That's correct. So when we come to this parable and we see that the workers that worked one hour are paid the same as the workers who worked all day long, 10 to 12 hours, 
we have a problem with that as well. And we have a problem recognizing the truth that God is not obligated to bless any of us, to give us anything, or to share with anyone. Romans 9, 15 says, He has mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he has compassion. So God makes no distinctions. He makes distinctions. He makes no distinctions based on our request. He makes distinctions, though, based on what he chooses to do as he gives out gifts. He owes no one anything. Now, the second problem we have with appreciating this parable is our own self-righteousness. Let me explain. Imagine a wicked Ebenezer Scrooge type of a man who, through his business, has robbed widows, deprived orphans, and abused people, innocent people, for years. And it's well known Everyone sees the reality of what this person has done. It's not been kept behind the scenes. He has just run over one type of person than another. On his deathbed, his spiritual eyes are open. He sees his sin. He hears the gospel of Christ. He repents. He seeks forgiveness. And through the cross, he is flooded with a sense of the grace of God. He, He receives assurance of his salvation from God. And then he dies. Do we have even just the slightest sense that there is something not quite fair about this? If so, it's because we continue to think of salvation in terms of works and reward. Even Bible-believing Christians who ought to know better, we fall into the trap of thinking that they, someone like that, somehow deserve Something different from what others get. And we think, here's the 11th hour convert, saved at the last minute. And we think, he doesn't deserve to go to heaven. She doesn't deserve to go to heaven. Oh, and we do? But he was so evil. Are we not? He should be punished. Shouldn't we? So do you see the problem this parable is exposing? We, perhaps, have begun slowly and subtly to think of ourselves as deserving a place in God's kingdom, which others don't. And the point of the parable is that participation in the kingdom of God is all of grace, and it is all because of his generosity. And this is true regardless of when one comes to faith in Christ and where one comes to faith in Christ. All who are saved into God's kingdom, whether they are first or last, whether as a child or late in their life, it's all of grace. So have you believed in Christ all of your life and maybe been in church since you were an infant and you were taught the gospel from the time you were young and you came to embrace Christ as your Savior and now you have served him for decades, maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Or perhaps here's the other person that walked through the doors of this church and now is part of God's kingdom within just the past few weeks? Either way... In each case, on every point, in every spectrum, we are 
here because of God's grace. By grace you have been saved through faith, so no one is superior to anyone else in the kingdom of God from that standpoint. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. When the mass murderers or the Ebenezer Scrooges experience genuine deathbed conversions, if I am thinking right, then if you are thinking right, we will rejoice. Because God has been generous, and that is his option. I will know that I'm no better than that person, and that their wicked public sins are paralleled only by my private unknown sins. And I'll give thanks that the same grace of God which saved that person also saved me. So let me close with a couple of thoughts. First, a challenge I would put before you, especially if you're young. Do not wait to serve God. Do not think, I'll get in on the 5 p.m. action. I'll wait. I won't get out there in the sun early in the morning I'll, and get the grapes. I'll wait until late in the day since it will be just the same for me. One, you don't know if there will be a later time in the day. I read a story that says, the way the story goes is, man is walking on a deserted beach and he comes across a half covered uh, <coughs> bowl type thing a, a, a can in the, in the sand and he picks it up and he rubs it and boom, a genie appears and the genie says you have one remaining wish and the man to his surprise says um, I wish for a newspaper a local newspaper dated one year from today, one year in the future. I'd like that newspaper. And the genie goes, done, boom, puff of smoke, he's gone. And in that man's lap is a newspaper of his hometown dated one year in the future. He immediately turns to the market section to read about the stocks. And he says, great, I can see exactly what these stocks are going to do a year from now. Now I can invest based on this. I'll be rich. I'll be rich. And then he glances across to the other page, and there's the obituaries. And the top name one year from there was his. We never know what the future will hold. So do not wait to serve God. Do not wait until the ninth or the eleventh hour. Start now. Serve him now. Rely on him, rely on his generosity. And when you come to the end, say not, what am I owed for my service? But rather, what joy it has been to serve such a loving and generous God. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you for your generosity to us. It's been shown thousands of ways. Some we recognize most we don't. And we pray you would make application to our hearts to mold us into the people you want us to be. We thank you that we're only made right with you through the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer. We're blessed to hear the gospel, to our trust be in Christ and him only, and we pray in his name. Amen.